This is the European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. Hello and welcome to the European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton with me, Andrew Carter, bringing you conversations, musings, reflections with key figures from around the world of golf. Today we are at the Green Eagle Club, somewhere to the south of Hamburg in Germany, for those who don't know where Hamburg is. Yourself. But I'm delighted to say we've been joined by the 2018 Masters Champion, Patrick Reed, friend of the European Tour. Is that a fair description? I mean, the Masters Champion is fair, obviously, but friend of the European Tour, you do like to take up your membership and, and experience the European lifestyle. I do. I, I absolutely love it. You know, it was always a dream of mine to be a worldwide player. And once we won the World Golf Championship, to be able to now fulfill my dream and to play worldwide and be part of the European Tour, it's been a it's been amazing. It's been an awesome honor, and uh, to be able to come over and play with these guys, especially on this tour, it has been a blast, and uh, I enjoy every time I come over. Mm. Lots to talk about. On our, for those of you who are only listening and not watching on our uh, sofa uh, here, it's a daytime television vibe we've got going on. But uh, we take a, a, a look, obviously, at your life in golf, life where it started in golf as well for you. So San Antonio in Texas. Are you a Texan, even though because I see you high school in Louisiana, So, but are you forever a Texan? I, I am. I'm a Texan. I, you know, I was born in San Antonio, even though we moved out to Pittsburgh. I was, we were back in San Antonio and, and now living in Houston. So I, I, I call myself a Texan. I mean, I've, I've lived most of my life in, in Texas, and uh, you know, I've always enjoyed Texas, and it, it's nice and, nice and hot there. I don't know if it's like... You wouldn't know Yorkshiremen, Yorkshire people in the UK. They consider themselves a, a class apart. It's a sort of, it's a country within a country. Texas always seems to be that uh, people from Texas say I'm a Texan first and an American second. That's a that's a hard one because I mean, you know, yes, I'm a Texan, but at the same time, I'm I'm you know, I'm, I'm a true American. So, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things that um, you know, Texas, just like California, is probably bigger than a lot of countries, but at the same time. Uh, you know, we're still part of America, and, and any time we can rep that red, white, and blue, which is Texas flag and the American flag, we're we're, uh, we're all in. Well, we've got a lot of red, white, and blue to talk about later on, I'm sure. The golf, when did it start for you? When did you take up the game? When I was little, we, uh, my family and I, we lived on a golf course, and, uh, you know, I just remember growing up, and uh, you know, my dad would just kind of take me out and, and drop me off at the golf course, and, you know, I would just love to practice, love to play, and uh, you know, a lot of the members, they were, they were really kid-friendly at the Dominion uh, Country Club, and, and being there at the club, they, they always got the kids involved and got, you know, engaged in, and always you know, allowed you to have fun and, you know, made it fun, you know, because golf can be grueling, I mean, four or five hours out there, and they, they brought the fun part towards it, and I fell in love with it at that point and from there on ran with it. Yeah, but it's fun as well if you're a youngster if you if you can do it, if you're quite good at it early on. So were you were you pretty good at a, at a young age? I felt like I was pretty good at it. I mean, the one thing I always struggled with was I always wanted to hit the ball far. So, uh, you know, I missed a lot of fairways. And I think nowadays that's what kind of helped me, uh, you know, scramble a lot. You know, I was always used to kind of seeing shapes, seeing curves. So because of that, now... Uh, you know, I felt like that helped me get be a little more creative when I play, and because of that, it's uh, it's really helped me on later on in life, especially on days out here where if you're not quite hitting the ball as straight as you want to, you can uh, get out of it. So was it all golf or other sports? Or f- there were fishing. Fishing was somewhere in the in the, the reed growing up. Yeah, I, I fished a little bit, just kind of you know, just. But I was uh, I played a lot of baseball and and basketball. I mean, I, those were the sports I played. Uh, 
quite a bit growing up and uh, had to make a decision whether I wanted to continue golf or, or baseball because, you know, two completely different swings and uh, it wasn't quite working out uh, at the beginning of each, each season. So, um, you know, I obviously chose the correct one, but, uh, you know, I, there's a, I mean, I love, I still love watching baseball and, uh, and even though I didn't play football, college football has always been a huge one for me. So were you a batter? You weren't a pitcher? You were... I was so I was a uh, I was a batter and third base and short. Okay, so. I'm going to pretend I understand that. So right, third so, base and short, I thought right. so. Yeah, I had a mean arm. I, I could throw it, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I was a pretty I was a pretty good batter. I you know hit the ball far and uh, pitching, uh, not so much. I mean, I had basically one speed: let's throw it hard and throw it fast and get it to that first base as fast as possible. Okay, uh, I've already forgotten the name of your position in baseball, so it's it's gone. But uh, well, it's good to, because it's. You always hear that it's important for youngsters to do as many sports as possible, so you're just typical in that way, just do as many. But golf was just getting better and better all the time. I feel like there's, uh, you know, especially sports just in general, with children and kids growing up, you know, there's a lot of qualities that sports teach you. Uh, you know, no matter what you're playing, you know, sportsmanship, you know, teamwork, leadership, and, uh, you know, a lot of accountability. Because at the end of the day, if you're not working hard, you mean you're not going to play well and... Uh, you know, it's just basically everything you do. If you're not working hard at something, you're not going to succeed. And, you know, and then, you know, it's all up to you. And, you know, for me, I feel like there's a lot of things that sports bring that not only help you in, you know, in sports, but also help you in your, in your well-being and in your life and moving forward on, on lessons that you need to learn. Was there a point, well, there obviously was a point, but I wonder how early it came that you thought, I'd like to do this as a, as a career, because in high school, your golf was really taking off. That was in Louisiana, though, wasn't it? Right. What, what was it that, first of all, took you know, a family from Texas to Louisiana? Just medical sales, uh, you know, a medical field. But, you know, it was, it was one of those things that I felt like I really wanted to pursue golf when I was about 13, you know, 12 or 13 at that age. You know, I was uh, I was playing baseball and golf at the time, and, um, you know, I knew I couldn't continue playing both. I had to pick one, and and I just, I just never could really put down a golf club. I, I just, you know, I mean, it was just something that I felt like, was something that I needed, you know, wanted to try to continue playing. And then also at the end of the day, you know, I knew if, if it didn't work out in golf later on, I'm becoming a professional. There's a lot of things you can do in business world. You know, you can go out and play and a lot of business gets done on the golf course. You're not really going and playing, a, you know, pickup game of baseball with with your colleagues and, you know, you're, you're going to go to the golf course. But they're very different sports in terms of One's a team sport, one's an individual sport. I mean, they demand sometimes different characters. Do you do you think that your character lended itself to, I'm fine with being on my own for a while, just hitting golf balls? I think it's just kind of my nature of being uh, always striving to, you know, be better. And, uh, you know, in, in golf, there is no, you know, because there's not really team practices, you know, you, you can be out there as long as you want. Uh, you know, whether it's an all day, a couple hours, an hour. I mean, I always feel like you're able to, you know, to put in hours and put in work. But, uh, you know, there's nothing like, you know, team being a part of a team, being a team aspect of it. Because junior golf, there's a lot of, you know, whether you're a high school team, college team, you know, Ryder Cups, President's Cups, there's a lot of team events and team things that you do. And I feel like there's a lot more team aspect of golf early on in your career and in your life. And, you know, that's one thing that once you get on tour that you do kind of miss. You know, you, you just got done basically eight, nine years of your of your life playing team sport. You know, golf was a team team event at that point. And then, you know, you get on tour and then it's, you know, just kind of just you and 
Maybe you're waiting and hopefully you can make one of the team events so you can actually be a part of a team. First time I encountered your name was uh, 2006 when the Open Championship was at Hoylake and uh, you won the, the Junior Open nearby in what was for us a heat wave. And uh, I interviewed you at the time. You were wearing waterproof trousers, which you just seemed, you thought that was just, this is what we do. And this is quite cool for us. But uh, was that your first time out outside the United States? It, it was. It was my first time playing overseas. And um, What did you make of it? I, I loved it. You know, for me, it was completely different because you go home and, and you're in the United States, everything's in the air. You know, you just hit the ball up in the air, the ball lands, it doesn't really roll that much, and, and that's about it. I mean, but when you come overseas and you play link style golf, you, you can play the golf hole 10,000 different ways on the ground, you know, use different knobs up in the air and try to stop it. And, you know, it's something that allowed me to be creative and, and use my creative side on the golf course, which is a lot more fun, I feel like. And there's a lot, you know, brings out a lot better kind of golf for me to be creative rather than just kind of point A to point B. So you went to college, you went to University of Georgia, first of all. By this stage, you're absolutely certain you're going to be a professional. Was that, did you always have that belief and confidence that you would make that transition? I always believed that I, you know, that I could play out on the PGA Tour and on the European Tour. But the thing is, that's something that I feel like every player needs to have. If you, if you don't have the self-confidence and belief in yourself, then you're not going to get the full potential that you have in yourself. You're not going to be able to excel and, and move forward. And, um, you know, the good thing is with having that belief and that confidence that I can play out on the tours, once we got out, got out on tour, it was like, okay, I'm out here now, but now let's go ahead and try, you know, try to win so you can prove to yourself that, okay, I do belong out here. I belong out here for longer than just a year. I belong out here for my career. And uh, so you always have that little thought that, uh, you know, in the back of your mind that, okay, well, do I belong out here? And then once you win, then you you definitely know that you can, you can be out here and, and you deserve to be out here and just have to keep working hard. I skated over a bit of your amateur career, actually. Sorry. Uh, I mean, did you enjoy college life for a start? Because it's been well documented, but there were two colleges. Does it shape you as a person a little bit that transition from boyhood to manhood in a way college is a step that is very important in everyone's life uh, you know education wise i mean you, you learn so much in college uh you know and, and there's there's nothing better than a great education and if you can go get a great education and, and and you know once now you're on your own in college you get to you know you learn a lot about yourself as well as what the real world's like i enjoyed going out you know in, in college and competing and, uh, you know, having and knowing that basically that's our last bit of team, you know, golf that is uh, that you're going to have until you, you know, un unless you make one of the teams, you know, on President's Cup or Ryder Cups. But, you know, that's being able to go out and play with the guys and, and pull for the guys as well. I mean, because even though you're competing against them, you go out and you play well that week, you're still pulling for your teammates to come play well so the team can win at the end of the day. It was definitely fun, uh, a fun experience, and you know something that you know to win back-to-back -back national championships, to, you know, at Augusta State was was awesome. You know, to go from a team that you didn't, you know, people didn't really know much about, and to be able to come on that team and uh, beat teams like Oklahoma State, Georgia, you know, Georgia Tech, and you know schools like that that uh, everyone knows about, mm -hmm. and, and they're college powerhouses when it comes to golf and put our name on the on the map was pretty cool. I'm just trying to think of uh, my knowledge of U.S. college mascots. 
So who are the Bulldogs? That's Georgia. That's that's Georgia. That's University of Georgia. Right. Not Georgia. What's Georgia Tech then? What are they? Uh, what animals yellow are they? Jackets. Yellow Jackets. They're not animals at all. They're Yellow Jackets. And Augusta State, the Jaguar. Jaguars. Jaguar, jaguars. Uh, so you're a Jaguar for for life. Sorry, I'm, I'm just a slight diversion into into mascots. Anyway, so but there was the U.S. Amateur as well at Pinehurst back in um, 2008. This is where this is where golfers are very hazy okay. in their own recollections. But I think it was uh, 2008. The U.S.M. Yeah, you were you reached the semifinals. Right, played Danny Lee. Danny Lee. Well, the point about that is that it kind of showed a little bit. You just made the match play, but then in the match play, you were a bit of a force in that one there. So it kind of showed your character early on. You like one-on-one combat in golf. I do. You know, it, match play is a blast. You know, it's one of those things you, you, because of how big golf, you know, fields are, whether you're playing in the morning, some guys that play in the afternoon, you could have bad weather, they could have good weather, but then when you when you go and you play match play, you're playing, it's one-on-one, and that guy is playing that hole the same time you are, you're going, you know what you need to do, and it's, you know, it's go out and see who has it the best that day, and, uh, you know, Danny unfortunately got me at the USAM uh, in, you know, in, in the semis, but at the same time, you know, Danny is a a really good friend of mine. He was actually he was at my wedding and everything. So uh, him and I are pretty close. And it's funny because that was the first time I ever met him, which was at the USAM, and uh, I wasn't happy losing to him. But uh, next thing you know, now we're uh, really good friends. What is it that you think that makes somebody able to make that transition though from being a very good amateur, which is a totally different set of pressures to that of a professional where you're you know, competing for your livelihood? There's a couple things. I mean, I think the the biggest thing is you have to believe that you belong out there you got to believe that you you belong to be on tour you believe that you can win out there and then when, when you get out there you almost need to be kind of stubborn i'll never forget the first time i played uh, in my first PGA tour event i ended up uh, actually getting a sponsor exemption into fedex st jude and that was right after we won our second national championship and i'm playing with a couple veterans on thursday friday and all of a sudden, I'm changing my game plan because they're playing this hole a certain way. And now all of a sudden, I'm changing my game plan, and I end up missing the cut and all that, and that stuff. And I sit there, and you know, my coach sits there, and he goes, there's one thing you need to realize. You won, and we won those national championships, and you went 6-0 in match play, and you're this ranked player because of how you play and what you do. Not because of playing how they played, but how you played. And so I learned really quickly that the easiest way to be, you know, most successful, obviously you have to work really hard, but also stick to your blueprint and your plans. If if you're a very aggressive player, if you draw the ball or you, you cut the ball, stick to who you are. Because if you're, if you're true to who you are, you're going to play the best. And rather than trying to mold yourself and play like other people, play like yourself. It's interesting that you say, you know, you need that slightly cussed streak. You need to have confidence. Do you think that you can, not you, that one can rub people up the wrong way when you first come out on tour because you, you've got to have confidence and you, you can come across as a bit uh, abrasive or cocky or whatever, but it's just the way that you need to be to succeed. Yeah, I mean, it just all depends on how you handle yourself. You know, if you're respecting, if you respect the game of golf, if you respect the players and you respect the people that are out there, then, you know, you, you need to have that kind of, we like to call it swagger when you're out there. Yeah, that yeah, that chip on your shoulder. That you know, I'm out here to prove something. To you know, and it's not. And the thing is, it's you're not out there to prove anything to anyone else. You're out there to prove it to yourself that you belong out there. 
And I feel like, you know, now day and age, the guys, you know, the younger guys that are coming up and the guys that are, you know, rookies on the tour, they have that chip on their shoulder and they have that swagger coming in. Because of that, you know, that's why you're seeing more and more first-time winners out on tours. Mm. The other thing that is a lot of sort of younger professionals seem to find difficult about going on tour is that it, it's quite a lonely place out there. Suddenly you're touring and it's hotels and it's airports and it's golf course. But you had quite young, a, a sort of immediate team around you and, and quite a young family suddenly around you as well. Justine, who you met, you met Justine at college. Yep. So suddenly that's your, your team out there and you need that support crew. Right, yeah. I mean, for me especially, I mean, to have my, my circle, my team with my wife and now my two little ones and uh, my team that's all around me, it, you need that because golf is very lonely. You go out and, you know, traveling as much as we do, I mean, 30 to 33 weeks a year, and, you know, going from hotel to hotel, you go play golf and you go back to the room, there's nothing to do. And so to, to be able to have the family travel with me as much as they have, especially early on, has been great. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely something that has helped me succeed and it's helped bring normalcy to the golf course because, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing like going and playing. And then, you know, I like to rent houses throughout the weeks because I bring the whole family if you're not having to go out to eat every night. You, you can go out, you can cook, you can go out in the backyard, play with the little ones and, and stuff like that. So you almost feel like you're at home, away from home. And, um, you know, I feel like that's part of the success that has helped us because of how lonely the game can be. That, I mean, success, I say it was success, relative success came quite early because you got sponsors' invitations in 2012, made a bit of money, went through Q School 2013. You seem to be quite comfortable out there quite quickly. Yeah, you know... Um, I think the reason why, I was, why we were so comfortable is because a lot of the tournaments I played in 2012 were because of Monday qualifiers. Mm. I went and I, we Monday qualified six out of eight times. and You felt you deserved to be there. You know, if you make it through the Monday qualifier, you beat oh, basically 90-something guys because you use 100-something guys for four spots. And so you beat all those guys to get into the event, so you earned your spot into the event. And once you earned your spot in there, you're like, all right, you know, I, I deserve to be here because I earned it. And then at the same time, you're like, well, since I just won or finished top four in the qualifier, I'm obviously playing really well. And, you know, so now you have that confidence that, okay, I'm earned my spot, I'm playing well, and now I'm on a golf course that's in absolute perfect shape. So you're sitting there, you're, you're in your mind, you're sitting there going, all right, well, let's go, let's go play. And, yeah. um, you know, it was, I made a career, basically a, a season out of, basically with the Mondays and a couple of sponsor exemptions. And it was, uh, it was definitely got my confidence going and I definitely had that confidence and belief that because I'm doing the Mondays and making those cuts that we belong down on tour and now I'll just go prove it. Yeah and you did prove it 2013 won for the first time playoff with Jordan Spieth as well so you know he wasn't quite the name then obviously that he is now but that's uh that's quite a way to to take a first victory how did I don't say how did that feel that must be the most asked question <laughs> how do you think I felt but I mean can you can you remember exactly what it, it meant to you at the time it was a sigh of relief honestly I mean it was the kind of stepping stone I'm sitting there and uh you know Justine's on the bag and you know with all the hard work of the previous year doing all the Mondays and then from going from the Mondays to my first year on the PGA Tour and going through a year that we felt like we we did a lot of things well just didn't get over you know didn't get a win and the way we were playing at Wyndham, I mean, we were on all-time high. felt amazing, and I'll never forget, we step up on 18, our first playoff hole, and 
Now I have a short putt to make it to win after he made a long one, but it was such a fast putt I had, had to putt defensive, and unfortunately I missed it. And so I go from an all-time high to kind of like, all right, you know, drag on, you know, we got to go to the next hole, and I hit tee shot on 10, and the lady is signaling, the volunteer is signaling out of bounds as I'm walking off the tee. So I'm just like, I go from all-time high to now all-time low, thinking we just lost the golf tournament. And so I go hit a provisional, we go back up there, and all of a sudden the ball's inbounds by probably 8 to 10 yards. I mean, it wasn't even really close. I mean, and so now we're like, all right, well, we have a shot, a chance. And, you know, after Jordan hit, and all of a sudden, you know, he I knew he got up top and, we hit that uh, amazing shot underneath and over the tree, and, and to make the putt, we go back up to an all-time high. So I mean, it was just a roller coaster of emotions, and uh, you know, I was, was glad to get the first one out of the way, and uh, you know, just really proved to myself that hey, we can win out here, and we just got to continue playing. You mentioned Justin. What was it like having at that stage your wife counting for you? Arguments? No serene progress? Oh no, it was amazing. You know, it was one of those things that when I moved to Houston, when you know, to be with Justine. You know, she was at the time she had she had dual bachelor's at LSU health at health administration and nursing. So she wanted she, her her dream was to run a hospital. So she was working nights and I was practicing. And I when I moved to Houston, I changed my golf swing completely. You know, saw a new coach and everything. And um, at that time, I was just beating balls on the range, really trying to figure it out. And I I looked at her and I was like, I'm going to go play a couple uh, Adams Tour events. Just kind of you know, my coach and I were like, let's see how the swing is under pressure, because you know he's like. It looks good on the range, but I mean, you know, you gotta be able to take it to the golf course. And Justine goes and looks at me and goes, "Well, okay, well, I'll caddy for you." I'm sitting there going, "Okay, I mean, there's no way you're gonna be able to caddy for me. A golf bag's bigger than you. I mean, you're only 100 pounds soaking wet, and golf bag's five, you know, well, five one, and you're five feet. I mean, it's taller than you are." She's like, "No, I can do it. No problem." I was like, "No, I don't think there is." She's like, oh, "Trust me." She's like, "You know, let's go. Let's go try it." Okay, so it's August and. Houston, which is hot. Hotter than Hollywood. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It's 100 and, I think it was like 110 that day. Humid, no wind, sunny. So I put all the rain gear in the bag. I put the umbrella, put two waters, basically everything that we would need to play on a bad weather day. Anyone can lighten up a golf bag, and anyone, I mean, people can carry it, but it's when the bad weather comes, can you carry it? And so I'll never forget, we go out, I mean, she just got done working that night and, you know, that morning. She's, you know, no sleep. So we, she comes in, which she basically changed it. We go to the golf course. I warm up. We go to the first tee. And, you know, we play the front nine. And after the front nine, I'm done. I'm like, I don't mean I won't be. It's so hot, so miserable. She goes, no, we got nine more to go. I'm like, okay. So I go and I play the last nine. I'm over there just looking left and right, trying to find something to drink. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm dead at this point. And she just looks at me and she goes, is that it? I'm like, is that it? Like, I'm about to die over here. I mean, good thing you're a nurse because I'm about to go down. And uh, at that point, I was like, all right, well, yeah, let, let's go do it. And but when she does it more permanently, caddying for you, mm-hmm. how does that feel in terms of pressure? Because you know, almost you're not doing it for just for yourself, but that she's put a, a, right. whatever career she might have been thinking about on hold. Exactly. I, that was that I felt like was the hardest part because, you know, when, when you're not on a tour or anything like that, I mean, and coming out of college, there is no real steady income coming in. She was our steady income, and then at that point, now she's like, you know, I'm going to put my career on hold to try to help you, you know, succeed at yours. And when that happened, I'm sitting there going, all right, well, we better play really well, really quickly, because I mean, a bank account's going to dry up quick because golf's an expensive game, and you know, it takes a special person to literally, t- you know, 
put your career on hold to help someone else. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden when she came out and she, she was fully invested and fully into it, and it was, it was amazing. I mean, she uh, was driving to most of the Monday so I could sleep on Sunday nights. And, you know, we would get there and very little sleep. We'd go out and play. And, uh, you know, she, she got as much into it and, you know, on golf as I did. I mean, she knows basically everything. I mean, I mean, she basically can build a golf club for me and ship it out nowadays. When you know, if I if something were to break or anything like that, and, I mean, I, I fully trust her. But if she sends something out, I can put it in play that day. Really? Yeah. Right. So we're we're we're, we're sort of dwelling around the 2012 2013. Let's leap forward to uh, the WGC win in 2014 because that was a a week of sort of record breaking. Here we are. So we've got you broke Tiger Woods' record as the youngest WGC winner. The one shot winner, Bubba Watson, Jamie Donaldson. Only the fifth golfer to earn three PGA Tour wins before your 24th birthday since 1990. Joining Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Rory McIlroy, and Sergio Garcia. The reason I read off these stats are because that must give you tremendous pride. But I know you like, uh, uh, you know, achieving things in the game as well that are that are special. Yeah, you know, um, it, it it was amazing that week. Uh, I'll never forget, kind of warming up on the range on Sunday. I had my headphones in and had no clue what's going on around me or anything like that and the whole entire range is basically empty because I'm one you know I'm in the last group and but Tiger's in the group in front of me and he decides out of the entire range which Ed Doral is massive he decides takes his golf balls and put it right behind me literally right behind me and he's within five feet of me hitting golf balls and I had no clue I had headphones in and all of a sudden after I got done hitting I you know went and put my bag and took out my headphones I was like oh wow there's Tiger you know and um to be able to play where it's, they go 69 of the top 70 in the world were there and to uh, to stare down basically on every single hole your basically your idol the guy you grew up watching and wanting to you know mold your game and play like and having that Sunday red tiger in front of you and to be able to play the way I did to to win my first war golf championship was uh, was amazing and at the end of the day it also uh I knew that win was also going to allow me to fulfill my dream on being a worldwide player and play on the European Tour. It's amazing you you had three wins on tour before playing in your first major, the 2014 Masters. Is that? I mean, that's in, that's incredible in itself. I mean, you must have felt even before playing in a major that, and you know, you said at the time that you know I believe I'm a top five player in the world, and then again that was widely reported. But was that just the belief you had that that was where you were going? Right. You know. Um, I think the biggest thing is, I mean, you have to have that belief in yourself. The guys who win on tour and the guys who consistently are playing late on Sundays believe that they're the best player out there, that if they're playing the capability that they have, if they're playing their A game, that they will have a chance to win on Sunday. And nowadays, I mean, that's the type of attitude you have to have when you're out there playing. You know, you have to be strong mentally and physically out there nowadays to play and, uh, it's one of those things that growing up watching guys like Tiger and Phil, you kind of learn and have that kind of mentality that, you you know, if you're 500, you need to go lower. You need to keep going, keep driving it in, keep going lower and lower. And, you know, I think that's something that uh, those two have done that has helped grow the game and has helped the generations after them come out and be more successful and play even better. Now, we touched upon the European Tour membership. I mean, in 2015, because you won the WGC, you had access to the European Tour, decided to come across and and play a bit. Again, what was the thinking behind that? Just see something different, try something new? I've always wanted to grow the game of golf, and I've always wanted to be a worldwide player and, and enjoy and, and meet different people, learn different cultures, and uh, 
you know, something that I've, is, I've always wanted to do. And um, I, I felt like I don't only need to touch just the U.S. And, and grow the game in the United States, but I want to make the whole world a better place, uh, you know, whether it's in golf, whether it's, you know, getting to know people and, and you know, helping children. And having the opportunity to play on both tours it gives me the opportunity to travel around the world and play everywhere and, uh, you know, show other countries and other places how fun golf can be. And then and also to show a lot of people around the world that even though we're some of the top athletes in the world, you know, in, in your sport, we're still just normal human beings. We're normal people. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter if, if you're a celebrity or not or, you know, or a public figure or an athlete. At the end of the day, we we all we all bleed red. We're all the same inside. We're all normal people. We all like to have a good time, like to joke around, have some fun. And the reason why where we are is because of hard work, and that you know everybody can use that and realize that hey, sometimes one person just needs hey, you can do it, or you know just a little push, and you know, and, and all of a sudden they they can be you know change their life and become a better and have a better path. Let's talk Ryder Cup. Oh, I just did that. Anyway, I'm doing gun fingers for those who are just listening. For some reason, best known to myself. Let's talk Ryder Cup. 2014 Glen Eagles, even though it was a losing American team, it seemed to me that you really enjoyed that experience. Being a first-time representative of the United States, you know, as a professional, was was unbelievable. I'll never forget that week, ever. I mean, it was uh, such a special moment, such a special time. And, yeah, you know, I mean, I'll never forget uh, Captain Watson or... or were there and uh, he brought over two wounded warriors and they were sitting and they were talking to us about what it's like representing you, you know your country and what they endure and you know as veterans and what they you know to to keep us safe and they gave every one of us a folded American flag that has flown and um, it touched me so much that I actually I have not played a single round of golf without that flag in my golf bag since that day that go- that flag has been in every single golf bag that I've played with. Still in the golf bag now. You know, just that moment in, in representing our country was was unbelievable. And uh, to go out and and to know that you know Captain Watson was going on, uh, you know, putting his neck out for myself and Jordan, putting us together, you know, two rookies, and then you know putting Jordan and I out first and second on singles, knowing that we needed a rally, we needed to see our color up early. And we needed, you know, we needed to go up and, and get that momentum. And I'll never forget it was Stenson and I kind of going back and forth. And all of a sudden, you know, we're we're dead, dead even at the time. And he makes a birdie putt in this Coliseum place goes nuts. And I was like, no, we need the crowds back on our. We need the crowds quiet. We need to get on our side. So when I made the putt and turned the crowd and just shushed them, um, they didn't really go quiet. They just got back. Just got booed like crazy. But it the amount of energy that that moment produced for the rest in the atmosphere for the rest of the day was unbelievable i mean you had people as you're walking out fairways friendly banter back and forth with the crowds and you know it seemed like every putt that people made people just went absolutely crazy and nuts and it was just it was such an awesome experience it'll be one that i'll never forget especially with how stenson i played we both played some really solid golf that day and uh you know it came down to the last hole and i was able to uh able to clip Iceman. Yeah. Did you enjoy playing the bad guys? Well, as you said, you almost feed off the... It was a bit of a pantomime energy. You know, the crowd, it was... You know, they're booing you, but it's good-natured booing, and you're playing up to that as well. It's all part of the role. It's a lot of fun, uh, you know, coming over and being, you know, being Captain America on, on foreign soil, because uh, if you go over and, and they know that, all right, we need to somehow 
calm him down or, or take him out of the game, you know, because he's you know, at that point, you know that, okay, they respect the way we play. They respect that, all right, he's, he's a guy that we have to worry about. And it kind of, you know, it, it's fun because when they give it, it, you can give it back. And, and I think the fun thing is they know how to give it, or, you know, give you friendly banter. It, you know, they never really cross that line of being disrespectful and, and you're able to give it back, you know. And, and when that happens, there's some there's another part of golf that you're not used to seeing. And it's something that I feel like helps grow the game of golf. Well, that was the Hazel team as well from the other side. Your match against, against Rory, would you say that was one of your most enjoyable days in golf? I would say it's uh, definitely top two or three. You know, my best moment of golf was, uh, you know, winning for the first time at Wyndham, you know, especially with having my wife on the bag. You know, getting your first win was was unbelievable. But uh, it definitely was to be able to go out and play the way that Rory and I did and to have that match and uh, to have the fans, that being my first time playing in front of my crowd, I was actually my first team event at, on the U.S. soil because my Presidents Cup and also Ryder Cups were always overseas. So uh, to be able to play at home and to have that fun, uh, that kind of that kind of a match going back and forth, and to see the friendly banter back and forth that him and I were doing with each other for the sportsmanship we were showing, the camaraderie we were showing, as well as the passion for each each country and also our, our, you know the the passion for the game of golf we had. I felt like was definitely a moment that uh, you know golf won't ever forget. We won't ever forget. Do you have a different mentality in the Ryder Cup? I'm just thinking if you see, for example, saw McIlroy stick it into five feet, would you just be standing up there thinking, right, I've got to stick it closer? Is it is it a sort of a more positive mentality than you can have in stroke play? I think so. I mean, it, it's completely different because you're only playing one guy rather than playing an entire field. And then at the end of the day. If he goes and pulls off an amazing golf shot, you can go for broke on that shot, you know, because at the end of the day, if you make a seven and he makes a three, you're only one down. But in stroke play, I mean, you have 18 holes or 72 holes. You know, you have a you have a long time that um, you know you can make up shots throughout the throughout the week and and throughout the day, rather than you know, basically a very short sprint, which is what match play is. Do you feel that the European team, because people say the European team always just is closer, tighter, gets on better, is that is there is there an element of truth in that? When, when I come overseas, I'm playing the European tour. The guys are always going out and eating eating with each other. They're hanging out. They're having a great time with each other. So there, there's a lot there's a lot more time and bonding that they have with each other rather than in, in the states on the PGA tour. Because in the states, a lot of the guys are traveling with their families. And so you go to the golf course, and then you then you're going straight back to go hang out with your family and, and to see the family. But uh, on the European tour, a lot of them aren't traveling as much with their families because you're going from country to country, not just state to state. Yeah, so maybe helps. But do you have to right. be great buddies with the guy to play well with with that guy, though? We're all professionals. I mean, you can like the guy or not, but you know, as long, I mean, when it comes down to putting that tee in the ground, you know, guys put all their differences aside, and uh, we go out and try to play the best we can because. At the end of the day, we're, we're playing for something bigger than just uh, you know just with who we're playing with. We're, we're going to work, we're representing our country, playing for our country, and trying to bring home a trophy for our country rather than uh, just ourselves. Think of the future. I mean, most players who've played Ryder Cup say, "In the future, I would love to be a Ryder Cup captain." Could you see that in the dim and distant future for yourself? Oh, I'm, that'd be a, that'd be amazing. It'd be fun. But uh, you know, it's one of these things that I want to continue playing on the team first before uh, before I have to. Have an odd opportunity. I'm, I'm not writing you off yet. Don't worry about that. You've got a long time to go. Goodness me.
Hi, I'm Jamie Donaldson, European Tour player and proud Hilton Golf Ambassador. Are you a Hilton Honours member? No? You're missing the chance for you and your family to enjoy better travel, promotions, unique experience and more. Sign up to Hilton Honours today. You're listening to the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. Okay, I can put it off no longer. Masters 2018. I mean, I mean, take us through it from... I mean, you're in a great position from pretty early on in the tournament. Did you think... Obviously, you're playing well. At what point did you think, you know, I might be onto something here? I felt like once I made my first eagle on Saturday, I made eagle on 13, and at that point, I was like, all right, you know, you got good opportunity here. You, you know, you're you're late enough in the tournament where you now actually have a, you know have a shot. Because I mean, after Friday, 36 holes, you still have 36 holes to play. It's a lot of golf left, and I felt like being at that point where we have 20, you know, 24, 23 holes that uh, you know we have a, we have a solid opportunity here to uh, have a chance. But you just got to continue playing well. How do you sleep on a three-shot lead going into the final round of the Masters? What did you do? Honestly, I was shocked. I actually slept amazing. I didn't expect to sleep well. I expected to have a rough night, tossed and turning, mind going. But I um, actually was getting over a cold that week. And, uh, you know, after a long, I mean, I played because my Friday tea time, I was the last group. And then I was the last group on Saturday. I felt like I kept on getting back home around 9, felt late. And uh, we had a nice little uh, bite to eat, went to sleep. Also, I woke up the next morning and... Uh, it was weird. It was very had like this really calm feeling, and um, you know, I just kind of walked out in the kitchen, had my sweatpants and t-shirt on, and sat down with my daughter and just was watching Disney Channel with her, just kind of hanging out and just kind of letting the afternoon, you know, the morning kind of go and you know get ready for the afternoon. And when I arrived at the golf course, I was still just really calm and just kind of you know going out. And my coach just kept on looking at me every day. And he goes, "All right, Groundhog Day, go out and let's just." keep grinding, keep doing what we did the past couple of days, keep doing it. So, uh, you know, I felt great, had great warm-up, and all of a sudden I go to the putting green by number one, and I'm still feeling great, no nerves yet or anything like that. I'm like, man, you know, something I did not expect. I mean, I don't expect to just be, you know, running around, head cut off, just feeling nervous and everything. And all of a sudden I uh, walked through the ropes, and then once I got to the first tee and I stepped on the first tee, the nerves just slapped me right in the face. I was like, oh my gosh. I just looked, like, I looked, I looked left, looked right, and Cass is standing over there by the golf bag, and he's just kind of standing there looking straight down the fairway. He's not moving. And I kind of like walk over to him, he goes, you nervous? I was like, uh-huh. I was like, you? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, all right. He's like, where can't we go on this hole? I was like, right. He's like, all right, take three wood and hit it down that left side. If it goes left, that's fine. We'll figure it out. Let's just get off the first tee. So here's a here's a working theory which I've just come up with in my head just now. So it, it may well be a long way wide of the mark. But when you're so nervous in the first tee, three shot leave you into the final round of the Masters, and suddenly you get reaction from the crowd that is maybe not what we expected. When Rory McIlroy, who you're playing with, gets a big ovation and you get less, so did that make you think, right, I'm going to show you get into a sort of more positive nerves banish mode? No, you know, I mean, I was going in with the same kind of mindset and game plan that I had the first three days because that's what got me to that position. And I knew coming in that uh, Rory was going to get I mean, a huge ovation. I mean, it, it, Rory McIlroy. And, uh, you know, I mean, me being in the, basically the first opportunity to actually win a major, 
you know, I mean, they're going to go for the guy. They, they're going to cheer for the guy who is, uh, you know, who's, who's been there before. But even though it's an American against the European. The thing is, golf is such such worldwide, especially at the majors. That um, you know, you have when you go to Augusta, when you come over here to the Open, when when you're at PGA or the uh, U.S. Open, people from all over the world travel into to watch and, and to go to the event. So um, it's not as it's not like ninety percent is American when you when you're the ones in the states. Just like it's not ninety percent uh, European when you come to the Open. I mean, you have people from all around the world coming in. So I mean. To me, it was, uh, you know, wasn't even part, you know, part of my mind to think about who was getting more cheers or stuff. It was go out and play the best golf and have, hopefully have opportunity to win the green jacket. This is where we in the media read a great deal into things and go, oh, Patrick Reed's going to be fired up by that. Did it, did it bother you at all? Um, you know, I thought it was funny. He tried to poke the bear uh, Saturday night. Uh, Rory did, and um, it's kind of one of those things that... Uh, Let me say, I'm going for four, he's going for his first, is it? Yeah, something like, something like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's, you know he, he, I have nothing to lose. He has everything to lose. He's in the lead and all that kind of stuff. He's going to be really nervous, all this kind of stuff. And um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that uh, anytime I have my back up against the wall and I feel like you know, there's a chip on my shoulder, it, I always seem to thrive and play well. And uh, because of that, I mean, I, I, felt, I felt great going into Sunday and... You know, once we started, you know, started playing uh, and kind of getting kind of in our groove at that point, uh, it kind of in the beginning turned into a kind of little match play kind of setting against Rory because he was the closest one to me. Once we got later on in the match, then all of a sudden, you know, Rory unfortunately wasn't playing the type of golf he, he was wanting to on Sunday. Mm. But, you know, at that point, then it was like, okay, now where do we stand with the rest of the field? And could you sense that obviously you were continuing to play well and your your game management was good? And what point did you think this is going to be my day? So actually, um, there's two points in the in the round that I felt like really defined the tournament for me. It was the first one was on hole 11. I blocked my drive a little right. Was in the uh, was in the rough, and there's all the pine trees down that right side that were kind of blocking me to get to the green. And so I would had to start it in the water and hit a big cut around it with like five iron to get it onto the green. And all of a sudden I just grabbed nine iron. And I looked at Kess and I'm like, he's like, nine iron. I was like, I'm just going to chip it down there, shore of the water. We're going to try to get it up and down. I was like, because, I mean, we're going to take the big number out of play. And Kess is, I mean, Kess at this point is like white. He's like, huh? Almost like he saw a ghost because I'm the type that if there's a window the size of a golf ball, I'm going to try to go for it. And he's like, you're going to lay up to par four. You're not painting him in a positive light here, Kessler. <laughs> so no, so 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 he because he's always the one that's you know because of how aggressive I like to play, he's very good at kind of pulling the reins back, saying, "Hey, this is not a time to go for it." And for him to just sit there and be like, "Wow, you're gonna we're gonna lay up," and he's like, "All right," he because he, he liked that idea because I'm a drawer of the golf ball. I like to work it right to left, so having to one cut it is not my go-to shot and then also being 11 if it's if even if you cut it enough and it's just short of the green it'll actually hit that hill and go left and then go in the water anyways and so um we laid up and i had a good wedge shot in there i mean unfortunately i made bogey missed the putt but i had a great putt and it lipped out and then the next hole going to 12 i don't know how many leaders on sunday lose that golf tournament because of that hole and to hit it in the middle of the green and to make the putt for birdie at that point i felt like we we won the golf tournament at that point you know, I mean, because at that point you're going up and there's not really that many tough holes coming in besides for 18, which is the tee shot. And that's where, uh, you know, where Kessler was like, hey, 
same as you know, same as every day. Just aim down, you know, get on that right side, aim down left side, you know, nice to do your helicopter finish cut. And at that point, he's like, "We'll we'll have it in the bag." He's like, "So you know, just commit to it, same swing." And he kept saying that every week, commit to it, same swing the entire week. So he he, he kept it consistent on what he said, whether it was Thursday or whether it was Sunday. You know, he kept the consistency going, and and, and that's something that is great, and that he's, that he's learned a lot about, and helps me play better, is because keeping the consistency going and keeping the moment as hey, it's still golf, it's still you know, it's still just a normal tee shot. If I mean, if you're doing this a week ago, at this place, it, you know, that hole has not changed. The moment obviously has changed, but you have to psych out your mind and bring it back to, hey, it's still just a 400-something par four. It's just a normal cut. You do this normally, so just you know, take the moment out of it. I feel we should have given a proper introduction to, to Kessler, who is uh, your brother-in-law. So you, you got together with him in 2014, and, and he is you know, your best friend out there. Yeah, no, he's, he's definitely, definitely my best friend. He, he, you know, and, and being my caddy as well as my brother-in-law, I, I spent a lot of time with him, and, you know, it it's awesome to have him on the bag because I like to wear my emotions on my sleeve. Uh, you know, I like to get really hyped up and, and get going. And he's very level-headed, even keel. Nothing really, nothing really excites him, and nothing really like gets him down. I mean, he's he's kind of very mellow, and because of that, he's able to, you know, keep my highs, you know, in in check, and also keep my lows and, and pick me up a little bit. So uh, my biggest thing is, you know, if you are a guy that shows emotion or stuff like that, you. you there's basically three principles you need to live by when if you're going to show emotion is you got to respect the game of golf you got to respect the golf course you got to respect the players that you're playing with mm. you know if you're slamming clubs taking divots out of greens divots out of fairways or bunkers or, or stuff like that well you're damaging the golf course mm. and then if you're doing things and yelling while other guys are in the routine or practicing now all of a sudden you're you know you're you're now disrespecting the guys you're playing with and um you know, and same thing if you're doing anything that is uh, detrimental to the tour you're playing on in the tournament. But if you stay within those guidelines, I mean, I'm all for showing emotion, uh, you know, I mean, to to an extent. Back to the Masters then, and was it everything in the aftermath, the holding of the, the winning part and the immediate aftermath, was it everything that you thought winning a major might be? Making the putt on last was was definitely what I thought it would be. I mean, the pressure and the, the weight was just completely lift off my shoulders and the uh, to be able to see my wife back there and to give her a big hug. But, uh, you know, I'll never forget after seeing my wife, but then once we got the ceremony done and I went to the press conference and went back to Butler's cabin, my daughter was there at Windsor Wells, and she looked at me and said, Daddy, you did it. I'm so proud of you. I love you. And at that point, I just melted. I didn't think that her and the family were going to be there. I thought, you know, because they were at the house, I didn't think there was any way they'd be able to come back in. So I thought I was going to see him at home and, and to see her and for her to give me a hug and, uh, you know, tell me that she loved me and that I did it was just unbelievable. Where, where are you now then in terms of, of what you want to achieve in the game? Because he obviously just won again, a uh, big win as well in, in one of the season-ending championships. So I suppose for someone who's won a major, there are some who get to winning a major and for whatever reason the form falls away and it doesn't seem to be that way with you that you'd want to be a multiple major winner. Right, Um no, I will continue winning, um, continue getting my chances to win, uh, winning majors, World Golf Championships, and, you know, regular, you know, normal events, stuff like that. I mean, it's always been a dream of mine, a goal of mine to win, you know, the FedEx Cup as well as the uh, Race to Dubai. And, 
you know, I hope to have the opportunity to hopefully win a career Grand Slam as well as uh, I'd like to also win the career Grand Slam of um, World Golf Championships, but mm-hmm. all four of them. That's always been a goal of mine. And and really the biggest thing is the more you play well, the, the more you win. Now all of a sudden the more outlets you can touch and the, and the easier it is to grow the game of golf around the world and the bigger platform you have. You know, it's something of mine is to... Uh, to not only help grow the game of golf, but also help grow the next generation of children moving up, whether it's, you know, golf, whether it's, uh, you know, school, whether, everything, you know, make them better, you know, just everything, make them better, better, make the world a better place for them coming in. Well, you mentioned Dubai. I mean, we talk, we've talked about the European tour, but if you, you know, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Tom Watson, are the only other Americans who've been named honorary members of the European tour. Were you surprised when that came about? I was. It was, it was unbelievable. I'll never forget when we were playing a Saudi and, and Mr. Pele came up and uh, basically gave me uh, the honorary lifetime membership and I was speechless. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, it was such a huge honor because, uh, you know, a goal of mine and, and a dream of mine was to be a worldwide player and, and to now be an honorary lifetime member, it means I'm, I'm fulfilling that dream and I'm able to travel the world and, and make a career out of not only just playing at home but also playing over here and playing around the world and and trying to make the world a better place, and it, it was it was unbelievable. And to be a part of that list of those uh, those other three gentlemen is, is unbelievable. When you read those names, like, uh, Watson, Palmer, Nicholas, I mean, in terms of golfing achievements, that's a, a long stretch to get to what they've achieved. But they also leave a legacy in terms of how they have handled themselves as well. Do you think that's important? It is. It's always important. Uh, you know, I mean, just because what you do on the golf course is, does not paint the picture of your legacy and who you are I mean those those three guys you just named I mean and, and you can add Tiger Woods you can add Phil Mickelson to that, that list those lists as well and, and Mr. Player what they have done outside of golf to help generations and help people outside of golf is just as important as what you do on the golf course and almost as, almost more important than what you do on the golf course you know to be able to have that opportunity and to hopefully fulfill some of the void that you know we have in the game of golf compared to what we had from those guys is uh is something that all of us are going to do collectively as a group and you know it's something that hopefully more guys kind of follow my footsteps on on making that leap and playing on both tours and trying to grow the game worldwide and, and help the world okay just quickly a schedule for the rest of the season as well because it is it's a lot. You're a worldwide player. Just quickly take us through it then. List list the countries. All right, so we have we're here in uh, Germany. Then we have Amsterdam. Then we have London. Then home for a couple weeks. Then we have South Korea, Japan, China. Home for a couple weeks, Dubai, Hong Kong, hopefully Bahamas, and hopefully Presence Cup, which is in Australia. Then home for two weeks, which Christmas is in there for the two weeks, and then it's Hawaii for the tournament champions. There you are, global player, global superstar. What do you do then when you get your your rare weeks off? What I mean, still fish? No, I literally spend most of my days uh, just kind of hanging out at the house in sweatpants and running around with the little ones, having fun and being a dad. You know, I think that was the uh, that's the best thing ever is to. Uh, to be able to go home and just be a dad and hang out, with, hang out with the kids, hang out with the wife. Still a big baseball fan. Oh yeah, watch the Astros all the time. Astros, that's Houston, isn't it? Yes, it is. Houston, there we are. I even said Houston rather than Houston, right? It's named after a place in Scotland, Patrick. I can educate you on that. Anyway, um, as in fact Dallas is. So 
Nothing you have over there is original. Anyway, right. <laughs> I'm going to end on that note. We're not actually. We're going to ask you the quick Hilton <laughs> Quick Nine. The Hilton Quick Nine. So just nine very quick questions. First thing on top of your head. Right. First question is first thing in your suitcase. First thing in my suitcase. What is the first thing you put in your suitcase? Golf clothes. Golf clothes. Okay, excellent. Question two. Favorite club in the bag? My lob wedge. I call it 61 and done. Gets me out of a lot of trouble. Is that the one you broke? Yes, that one was 61. It was done, so I had to get another one. Okay. <laughs> okay, question three. Where was your last holiday? Uh, the Hamptons. It was right after the PGA. Nice, nice. Question four. Favorite hole in golf? Oh, uh, man. Let's go ahead and say 18th at Augusta, where I won my first major. Oh, yes, you did. I remember that. Right, question five. One place on your bucket list. One place you haven't been that you'd like to go. Yeah, I feel like I've been everywhere in the world, especially after that schedule. Um... I've never been to Australia. I've never been to Japan. Oh, President's Cup? Yeah, President's Cup. and Yeah. Uh, Australia. Australians. Patrick Reed is coming. Right. Uh, question six. Best shot you've ever hit? It would have been the seven iron at Wyndham when we won in the playoff first event. Question seven. If you weren't a golfer, what would you be? Probably an architect. Has that been an interest? For I'm making I've this always, a not-so-quick night. Right, so I've always, I've always really enjoyed, you know, kind of, you know, architecture as well as golf course design. I mean, ever since I was little, I was always drawing golf courses and, and stuff like that. So it's always oh. been something of mine that I've always loved to do. I was thinking buildings. Golf both. both. I'll do both. Right. Have you done your own house? Not yet. An extension. Get, that, would get, that would get too expensive. Can you imagine? Anyway, right. Question eight. An option, another Ryder Cup victory or another green jacket? Both. Okay. This isn't because Both, because one's a stroke play event, one's a match play event, one's a team event, one's an individual. So both. All right. We should have specified it's not a master's green jacket. It's just a green corduroy jacket that we've made for you. So <laughs> you've been suckered in there. Question nine. And finally, who would make up your dream four ball? Again, this can be somebody dead or alive. My wife, Sevy, and Tiger. Wow. That's quite a four ball. It's a great four ball, which then are Hilton quick my, wi- my wife and I would take those two on in a match. Okay. Um... Yeah, I'm not sure that would go well she for you. She shots, though. Okay. Oh, see, you got to play a handicap system. I didn't realize handicaps were involved, but we can make that happen for the Hilton Quick Nine. Thank you very much indeed for talking to Life on Tour. And Patrick, thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life on Tour podcast, presented by Hilton. You can get in touch via Twitter and Instagram, at European Tour, using the hashtag Life on Tour, or on Facebook. Subscribe now, and if you enjoyed the show, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts.